right. Hi, everybody. My name is Lance Griffin. I'm the Recreation Minister here at Ridgecrest Baptist Church. This is Ridgecrest Stories. This is a podcast of Ridgecrest Baptist Church, and the idea behind it is just to let you know about some of the people that are part of Ridgecrest. And we think when you hear their stories, you will know what the heartbeat of Ridgecrest Baptist Church is. And we're pleased to have Ryan Watson here today to talk about his story. And Ryan, just begin by telling us a little bit about how you came to Ridgecrest. Yeah. Thanks, Lance. Thanks for having me, brother. Um, wow, Ridgecrest. I've been here for probably about six years now. Okay. Born and raised in Dothan, so, uh, but I never went to church. Um, Megan, my wife Megan, we've been married for 14 years now. Her family uh, are members at Ridgecrest, and so when we would date um, growing up, I would always come to church with her, you know, on, on the weekends, uh, every, every once in a while, and then... Uh, uh, after we got married, Brother Ray married us here, and uh, um, yeah, we just w- would come to church here on Sundays, but uh, yeah. That's how you came. <laughs> so when you were growing up, you said you, you weren't, you didn't grow up in church. Was it just not emphasized, or or what was, when you thought about church when you were a kid, what did you think? Yeah, so we actually did go to church while my parents were together. My parents divorced when I was 11 years old. And um, we did go to church. We were in church. And I can I can vaguely remember it was at the uh, First Assembly of God. They had Fort Rock back behind the church. And I can kind of remember that. But uh, when my parents got divorced, I uh, went with my dad. And uh, we went out and, and we bought. He, he found some land out in the country and he bought. And we just kind of quit going to church. And I was never hostile towards God or anything like that. I just didn't know. I just, I had no clue anything about God, anything about Jesus and the Holy Spirit. I just, I was kind of clueless, but, um, um, you know, it's just been kind of, uh, kind of a, a journey learning, you know, it's obviously it, it's a process, right? It's, uh, we're always growing and we're right. always learning. So it's, it's been really cool being on this journey though, for sure. When you look back now and basically uh, your parents divorced, you go with your dad at at that age, and I guess you just sort of drift away uh, mm. from church. But as you said, you weren't hostile to it. Mm-mm. But do you look back now and think about what maybe was missing during that time and the influence of church and maybe mm-hmm. when you began to go in a certain direction with your life as you became a teenager and went forward, yeah. that element missing? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there was definitely that missing because, you know, I saw, I remember, because I was friends with the with the kids that were in, in the youth minister program, you know, at church. I was uh, always nice to them at, at school, but I, I always remember the stuff that they did during the weekends was a lot different than the stuff that we would go do. And um, it's just kind of like I didn't have that structure, you know. Uh, I was pretty wild back in those days. Um, you know, I didn't really have any borders. I didn't have any guidelines or any rules. I kind of March to the beat of my own drum, if you will, you know. Um, but it it probably would have been nice to have a little um, discipline in those days, you know. I just, I did what I wanted, and I never had anybody there to kind of tell me what you're doing wrong. You need, you should be doing this. It was just kind of like, this This is what I want to do. This is what I think is fun. So this is the direction I'm going to take my life. You know, I, I, I didn't have that happen in my life where my parents divorced. I, I certainly didn't have a, a Brady a type of childhood either, but of all the times I suppose for parents to split up, 
Yeah, at eleven, my goodness, your your hormones are are starting to really start to fire off, and everybody is a little bit crazy at eleven years old. Yeah, and and having something like that, the biggest thing that's ever happened in your life, I'm sure, I, I, that couldn't be easy to navigate. No, no, it was it was tough. I remember how hard it was, and I mean, I remember how hard it was on my dad too. Which my dad and I have a great relationship. He is a great man. He's a God fearing man, and. Uh, he raised me to know right from wrong. You know, I just kind of chose to do wrong most of the time. But, um, you know, it was just tough. I remember me and him would go and we would, you know, we would just stop and get fast food and go back out to this. We had a double wide trailer out on these 16 acres out in the country. And, mm -hmm. you know, he worked a full-time job. And, um, you know, it was, I think it was tough having to choose too because for some reason it was up to me to decide – who 11. I wanted to go with. And my sisters, I have two sisters and they stayed with my mom. And I was like, well, I want to go with my dad. And uh, I remember how tough that was on all of us. Yeah, I can only imagine. So you do that and you're, you're beginning to develop into a, your preteen at the time. You begin to, to experience the teenage years. When you look back now, is there, can you see a, maybe a, a drift away from probably what God intended at the time? Yeah, for sure. So, I was searching for something. Those I, I remember when I was like 14, 15, 16 years old, I was trying, that's probably the age where most kids, most, you know, teenagers are looking for an identity in something, mm -hmm. right? And I remember searching for something that I felt like I could find my identity in. And at the time, there were some older kids that I thought were so cool. Mm -hmm. And they would invite some of the younger kids to go out and, you know, do stuff during the weekends. And I just remember being like, that looks so fun. I can have my identity in that. And that's kind of what I was pursuing at that age. I was like, okay, well, this, this is, I'm going to try to fill this void that I have in my life. I'm going to try to fill that with what these guys are doing because it looked real appealing to me at the time. And I was like, this is, I guess I was just, I was just searching for something. I was looking for an identity in something. And Obviously, it was in the wrong thing at the time, um, and I think that's why it's so important for kids at that age, for their parents to have them in church and pointing them in that direction, you know, for that, just because they're so many, they're getting pulled, I remember that age, getting pulled in so many different directions, and I mean, that's why it's so important, the choices, even at that age, mm -hmm. the choices that you start to make are really going to, they can determine where you're going to end up in the future, that's why it's so important to, to to um, surround yourself with, with people that are going to point you in the right direction. Was there ever a point in time as, as you're beginning to, to maybe choose some things that, you know, weren't God's best for you? Was there ever a point in time where you felt like, gosh, there, I need to hit the brakes. I need to turn around or, <laughs> or was it just, man, I'm having so much fun and I'm not really thinking about tomorrow. I'm just in the moment. Ooh, I don't remember. I do not remember ever like, saying I, maybe I'm not doing the right thing. Maybe I need to stop what I'm doing. I mean, I was 90 to nothing. And I mean, I was actually, I don't know if you ever had, uh, if you if you can remember back when you were this age, but your parents were like, I don't want you to hang out with this, this guy. Yep. He's bad news. I was that guy that people didn't want their kid to hang out with. I was just, uh, yeah, I, I was, I saw what I wanted and I was like, this is going to be fun. We're going to do this. I'm going to plan this. Everybody's going to be here. This is going to be great. And, you know, I was pretty, uh, 
I, I was pretty organized and all the wrong ways, you know. <laughs> that's in, that's interesting, and it's really funny that you said that because I, I millions of times I've heard people say, "Well, he just wound up hanging out with the wrong crowd." <laughs> I've never heard anybody say, "I'm the wrong crowd." <laughs> yeah, that's me. Run, run from me. I actually had a. Uh, they called me Wild Man, Wild Man Watson. Um, some of the boys in the church still call me that just for fun. But I mean, I had a reputation. I mean, when I was in high school, they all knew me. Most of the police officers around Dothan knew who I was yeah. because of the parties I would throw. Well, and, and for people that may not be familiar with the story, we don't have to go into salacious details, but I guess people are wondering, okay, you're, you're <laughs> telling a story about drifting in the wrong direction, but we don't know what that means. What, what does that mean? Yeah. Well, you know, in high school, um, like I said, some of the older guys, they would invite us out and we'd go out to these field parties or where somebody's parents were out of town and would go over there and there would always be alcohol. And um, so I was like, wait a minute, I've got all this land out here. Why don't I start having parties? Mm -hmm. So here I am in 10th grade in high school and I have this land and I don't have any parental supervision out there. So I start having parties every weekend, Friday and Saturday night. And I would always make sure there was plenty of beer out there. Uh, I always make sure there was plenty of pot out there. I mean, Pot wasn't anything back then to get, you know, right. you could get yeah. it pretty easy. No, we, uh, we would have parties out there every weekend and, and not just out there, you know, when it, it would be, uh, um, at my mother's house too. I mean, I hate to throw my parents under the bus. They're great parents, but, uh, we'd go over to her house too. And, uh, she lived in town and I'd have parties over there. But, um, you know, I don't remember, I don't remember going to church one time in high school. I mean, I just don't remember ever. I mean, I was, like I said, I was friends with the guy. I remember the kids who were, you know, would go to First Baptist and First Methodist and were, you know, real nice. And we were friends. We played sports together. But what they were doing just didn't look appealing to me. Mm -hmm. You know, so I was just, I thought that throwing the parties, I thought that's what I wanted to do. Now, I got my first DUI at the ripe old age of 16. 16 years old, I get a DUI. And, uh, you know, I get out, I get youthful offender. So it's just kind of a slap on the wrist. Mm -hmm. So for a lot of kids, that may have been a wake-up call. But for me, I was like, okay, I'll just have to be more careful next time. Mm. And, um, you know, I started uh, – this was high school. And I was a pretty good soccer player too. Played soccer growing up. And um, this is kind of sad. But – I was the captain of my soccer team at Northview our senior year, and we were really good. And I had two scholarship offers to go play soccer in college. And I turned them down because the counties where those schools were were dry counties. And I was afraid I wasn't going to be able to drink. So that's why I paid for school. Wow. Because I turned those down. So anyway, that, I just wanted to say that because that's how deep alcohol had its hooks in me at a right. young age. And even the DUI you still were not really seeing any serious repercussions from, from what you were doing. No, not at all. And, you know, um, I just didn't have anybody to say, okay, we're locking you in your room. You're not going to leave. You know, I was just, I, I just kind of had free will to do whatever I wanted to do, mm -hmm. you know. Well, so at some point in time, you meet Megan mm -hmm. and, 
was that a turning point or or was that not even yet a turning point? <laughs> so I met Megan when I was a senior in high school when she was a freshman in high school. And I have a younger sister and my younger sister and Megan were friends. So Megan and I were friends for a while. And then when I finished at Northview, I ended up going to Auburn um, because I knew I could get alcohol at Auburn. <laughs> but uh, things got worse at Auburn, just to kind of tell you how things were going up there. Megan and I were just friends my first couple of years at Auburn, but uh, I had that same reputation up there. Um, wild man Watson. You know, I didn't, uh, I didn't join a fraternity because I had friends in every fraternity and I wanted to go to all the parties. I didn't just want to be exclusive to one. So I wanted to go to them all and I did. And I had a reputation with every, every one of those houses. Like, here he comes, here comes wild man Watson. This is, he's about to do something crazy. Y'all, y'all get out of the way. Mm -hmm. But um, I started, uh, taking pills. This was somebody, I remember when somebody offered me a Xanax and not to get into all the details, but I just want to kind of let you know how, sure. how bad it had gotten. Um, somebody offered me a Xanax one night at a party and I was like, sure. Yeah. I don't know what that is, but give it to me. And I was mixing it with alcohol. And I mean, you, you hear stories about people dying from mm -hmm. mixing stuff like that. But anyway, that got it, its hooks in me. And at Auburn, it went from drinking. Um, in high school, it was every weekend at Auburn. It was like, you know, maybe every, every night, every other night, it was just parties everywhere. And I started, I started, uh, mixing, mixing pills and, um, you know, honestly, just about any, anything you can think of, I've probably done. Mm -hmm. If you're like, well, if you're watching this and you're like, well, I've done this, he hadn't done that. I promise you, I've probably done it. Um, but I'm not proud of it. And, uh, it, it's really, um, it's just something that we'll talk about in a little bit, how God's used, but um, something else that really got us hooked in me that I don't mind sharing because God, I don't mind sharing this stuff because God's freed me from it. So right. I, I'm not ashamed of it. But I remember um, some buddies, one of, one of my buddies, he had a friend that was a, uh, a bookie up there. And I was like, okay, well, yeah, let, let's gamble. I, I've, got, I've got a little extra cash. Let's, let's gamble. And I picked the right team, and then he gave me some money. And I was like, so all I have to do is pick the right team, and you're going to give me money? You always win the first time, don't you? <laughs> you Everybody does. The first time. And it was only like 60 bucks, but I remember it's like I got paid in fives and tens because I just threw that money up in the air, and I was like, I'm rich. You know, for a college kid, that was a lot of money right. at the time. But uh, that got his hooks in me. And mm. I wasn't one of these guys that would just bet, you know, 25 bucks on a game here. I would bet like $200 on every game. So it was a problem and um, probably goes to my personality. I have a pretty addictive personality. So when I get into something, I'm like all or nothing. Mm -hmm. I was just focusing the all on the wrong things in those days. But uh, back to your um, question, Megan ended up coming to Auburn and um, we started dating up there. Um, we were friends for a long time, but I know she liked me and I liked her and um, I'm not going to tell you Megan's story, but she wasn't like coming in thinking she was going to tame me. Like I'm going to tame this wild stallion and, and we're going to have, we're going to live happily ever after. She was right there with me, mm -hmm. if you will. Mm -hmm. But we started dating at Auburn and um, kind of, you know, started going from there. Right. So that goes on. For how long before there begins to be a turning point? Oh, my goodness. So um, after Megan and I graduated high school, or graduated college, I should say, I asked her to marry me. 
so obviously it wasn't that bad because she said yes all those years in in Auburn. But um, we were married for seven years, and I, those seven years of marriage were just tough. I mean, they were us going out, and alcohol was just always there. I mean, everything we did, whether it be go out to dinner, every time we went to the beach, anytime we went over to a friend's house, any kind of wedding function or anything like that, every function, alcohol was there. Like I was so blind at the time, I couldn't imagine a life with it. Like I really couldn't picture a life without alcohol. I thought that would be so horrible. But um, it was really hard because it would be us going out and me doing something because I, I, ne I never changed. I was mm -hmm. still that person. I was still that wild guy. And I would do something to embarrass Megan or it, myself. But I would, I would wake up the next morning and I would just apologize and just tell her, you know, I'm sorry. I won't do this again. This won't happen again. Lance, that was a vicious cycle for seven years of our marriage. And God bless that girl. She could have left me a hundred yeah, times yeah. and she stayed with me. But, um... Yeah, we'll we'll get to where her tough loved. Well, that's what I was wondering. Is there there? <laughs> I don't know if there was like just a, you know, a, a hundred eighty degree turning point where we just got to a point one day, or if it gradually happened. But but you're sitting where you are now. Mm -hmm. Obviously, God got a hold of you, and and I guess people are wondering. <laughs> Here's the wild man Watson, and, and we've heard a lot of things, and now here you are doing a Ridgecrest Stories podcast. How did that happen? Yeah. So um, we knew something needed to happen. You know, something needed to change. So I, I told Megan, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna change. I'm gonna stop drinking. I'm gonna stop gambling." She didn't, she didn't realize how bad it was. Mm -hmm. I was hiding all the pills from her. I was hiding the gambling debt from her. She didn't know. Um, but she started moving away from that life. She, I think they still do it. It's called um, Soul Sisters in the Church. Yeah. It's like some older women that mentor younger girls. And she started doing that. And she would come home and she'd have her Bible and she'd say, Ron, I really want you to stop drinking. You know, of course, I'm sitting in the house drinking, <laughs> watching Monday Night Football or something. And, and gambling. you just said you can't imagine a life without it. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, I'm like, okay, okay yeah, you're right. We're, we're going to try to do this. And I did. I really did try to stop. And the only thing that happened was I got better at hiding it from her. Mm. Well, one night we got in an argument and I was like, okay, I'm just going to go for a drive. So I ended up going to a bar, a sports bar, and Megan got a call that night from the bartender. And I uh, said, you need to come pick this guy up. He is, he's, he's wasted. Of, and I made the call. If you don't come get him, I'm calling the cops. So she came and got me. And the next morning there was a bag packed for me. And she said, I don't want you here anymore. She said, I don't care where you go, but you can't stay here anymore. So I get that bag and I go to this hotel. And it's kind of funny because this hotel is on my way to work every day. So it's kind of neat getting to look over there and just smile at it. Mm -hmm. But anyway, it's one of those hotels where you pay like a hundred bucks for the whole week, right? And the first couple nights, I remember stopping and getting beer on the way home from work. And I would drink. And I would bet on college basketball. I remember what I, I even remember what I was betting on. But that third night, something made me not stop and get beer on the way back to the hotel room. And I remember that feeling of sitting on that hotel bed. And it was kind of, I, I guess if there's a such thing as an out-of-body experience, 
But I started thinking about all the things that I've done to Megan over the years, how selfish I'd been, everything I'd put her through. Um, and I hit my knees and I said, God, help. That's the first time I think I'd ever talked to God. I said, God, please help me. And what I know now was conviction. I didn't know what was happening to me, but there was something going on in my soul. Well, I didn't drink for the next three or four nights in that hotel room. I just came home. I didn't even watch TV. I just sat there and I just thought, I just thought about my life and where I, what I'd been doing. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that the thought of why do I even need to be here? Why should I even live? It crossed my mind. Are you, know? you and Megan communicating during this time? Mm -mm. Mm -mm. She didn't want to talk to me. So at the end of the week, I kind of told her what was going on. I told her that I hadn't been drinking, that I wanted to come home. And she was like, okay, well, we're going to come home. I'm going to, I'm going to let you come home. We had a wedding to go to that weekend. And I remember it was at um, Covenant. And this is probably the first time I'd ever been in a church at a wedding where I hadn't been drinking before. Mm -hmm. But I remember the preacher, you know, a lot of times you hear 1 Corinthians chapter 13 at weddings. But I was sitting there and I was listening and something was happening to me because that storm that I had going on inside of me, when that preacher started reading that scripture, it kind of calmed down. And I was listening and everything love, I remember everything that love was supposed to be, I wasn't. And everything that love wasn't supposed to be was like you were describing me. So we went to the um, reception and it was funny because I still remember about three or four guys across the bar at the reception were like waving their hands at me to come over. And for the first time in my entire life, it didn't look good to me. So I went back and I was like, Megan, let's just go home. So we went home. We woke up and came to church Sunday morning. We came to Ridgecrest. And, um, you know, people may have seen me and Megan at Ridgecrest in those days, thinking that we all had it figured out, you know, lived in Grove Park, a little white picket fence, but you just never know what goes on behind closed doors, you know. But anyway, we used to sit in the way back. I try to sit up front now. But we were sitting in the way back corner. And, um, you know, this didn't happen to anybody else in the church, but... You know, God speaks to us through his word, but he also speaks to us through people. Mm -hmm. Well, he spoke to me through Brother Ray that day. And I don't know if it was just something going on with my body, but it was like everybody else disappeared except the preacher. And his words were almost like he was just talking to me and nobody else. And he was preaching out of this series about how to build our faith on biblical truth and he said that he said building a faith on solid biblical truth and I don't know what happened but that did something to me and I went home and I came clean after church that day it's like Megan I got some stuff to tell you um I'm an alcoholic I know I've got problems I'm an addict with pills I've been taking pills every day without you knowing I'm a functioning addict um I've got like $70,000 in loans taken out that you don't know about. I mean, I just can't clean about everything. And I remember us crying harder that day because I told her I wanted to get help. And I was like, I don't want to get help on my own anymore. I want somebody to help me get help. And I don't think I'll probably, both of us were just boohooing on the ground. We're like, oh. But I probably won't ever cry as hard as I did that day ever again because I guess it was, 
something that had its hooks in me for a long time maybe was starting to ease a little bit maybe but anyway we had heard about this place called the anchorage over in albany georgia and the anchorage is a christian rehab that is not government funded it runs strictly off of donations so they can preach the gospel it's partially the um clinical side where they do the 12 steps and the other is the spiritual and um we actually heard about it from one of our members here at Ridgecrest. Their son went and got help. So we called. This is all that Sunday afternoon, mind you, that I'd been in the hotel the week of. So we get the number to the Anchorage, and we called. And we weren't expecting to get anybody, you know, because it's Sunday afternoon. And I left a message, told him a little bit about myself, and left our contact information. And me and Megan prayed. We prayed for help. And... Five minutes later, the phone rang, and it was the executive director of that place. And you know what he said? Help is here. And it usually takes like a month to get in there and get a bed. He was like, I got a bed for you. When can you be here? So I was like, this is all happening so fast. <laughs> I don't even have a Bible. Megan, get your mom to get me a Bible with my name on it. Uh, so anyway, I packed my stuff up, and I was excited. I really was. I was excited to go and, and get help. Well, we drive to Albany, and right when Megan drops me off, so we have an enemy, right? Yeah, Satan. Yeah. We have an enemy, which I didn't even know I had an enemy at the time. Do you think he was going to let me go that quick? No. Seemed to all be happening pretty easy, wasn't it? Yes. When she pulled off, I started having these thoughts like, you just like to drink a little bit of beer. You're, you're, you don't have any problems. You're, you're fine. Look at all these people in here. These guys are meth heads and this guy's he does heroin you know that you're fine you just like to have a few all these lies and i didn't have anything to fight him with so i bought them you know mm -hmm. so i you couldn't have a phone in the anchorage let me tell you a little bit about anchorage and then we'll get back to that it's a four-month program when you get there you turn in your phone they go through your bags and they show you to your dorm room um there it's a gated area but the gate's wide open because if you don't want to be there, they don't want you there, right? It houses probably about 50 men. There's two dorms. There's a cafeteria, a chapel, and classrooms. Um, you can't have a phone, so it's letters if you want to communicate. So I write Megan letters those first couple of days. I'm like, hey, um, I've seen the error in my ways. Come back and get me, <laughs> you know? And she writes me a letter. You can imagine what that letter says. I bet. I still have that letter. We'll read it every once in a while. But that letter, just to sum it up, said, if you leave there, don't come here. So I was like, man, okay. That's called tough love mm -hmm. in my book. So I started listening to what the men and women would say at the Anchorage. So in the mornings, you get up and you go outside and they do roll call. And then after that, you do breakfast. And then you go to a Bible study. Men and women, they, they dedicate their time to come out and do a Bible study with you that morning. And then you have some class stuff, some 12-step stuff that they do. And then in the evening, somebody else comes out and they do the Bible um, teaching. Well, I started listening to what they were saying. I was walking around that place for the first week or two, so proud and so prideful. I had my chest out. 
um, people would try to befriend me, you know, and I was like, what I, am I doing here with these losers? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I wouldn't even tell them who I was. I was like, I'm going to be gone in two weeks. I'm not even going to tell you my name. Um, but that was me for the first couple of weeks. And that's something that I had a problem with probably in those days growing up. I was just too proud. But um, I can remember the uh, the morning where this man came out, Marvin Fletcher. Still, We still have a good relationship. We still talk and text every once in a while. But he came out and he was doing a Bible study. And is, at this point, I was like, I'm going to submit to this. Lord, I just surrender. I want to I give myself to this program and see if it actually works. Because Megan already told me I couldn't come home. <laughs> so I was willing to try it, right? Um, but anyway, this morning, it wasn't different than any other morning, but I was just paying attention to this guy. And um, he was talking about being born again. And I had no idea what he was talking about, being born again. And uh, he was reading the scripture and I felt myself, I felt a tug. I felt like a pull. I was like, born again. So when he was finished, I went up to him. I was like, hey, can I talk to you for a little bit? I was like, what are you talking about? You said that we can start fresh. I was like, I don't think I can start fresh because you don't know what I've done. You mm -hmm. don't know where I've been. I was like, can you tell me? And he sat there and he told me about being born again and how Jesus gives us a fresh start. And he forgives us when we repent and when we come to him in faith. And he was just explaining all this stuff to me. He was using these words like grace and mercy that I just had never heard. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm a 34-year-old man, and I've never heard these words. In, in, in the South. Yeah, in the South. I mean, that's, that's the thing. Um, so he was like, I want, I want to talk to you about something. And we talked about the sinner's prayer. And that morning... I confessed that I was a sinner and I recognized Jesus as Lord and I came alive. And I know it doesn't happen like this for a lot of people and that's fine, but I felt something. I felt something that it's like I, that thing I've been searching for my whole life, I finally found. Um, it was just, I was hungry for that word, Lance. I wouldn't even eat breakfast because I wanted to get to the chapel early and I started reading I didn't know the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, but I started reading. Somebody told me, they said, start reading the Gospels. I was like, can you tell me what that is? <laughs> and then I was like, okay. Then I, But what was crazy about it is I would, all my free time, I would go over there. I was on fire for it. I would read it. I've never learned. It was the Holy Spirit teaching me. I've never learned as much as I learned in a short period of time. I was there for three and a half months. I learned God showed me so much and I would run over there. I was so hungry for the word. If they wanted me to, if I needed to be the guy who made the extra, the, the even number in a basketball game, they'd say, well, he's in the chapel. Go get him and see if he'll come play. I mean, that's where I was. Um, it's like I've been blind my whole life and the lifters, the, the blinders have been lifted. It's like I could see in color almost. So it's it's January 2021 right now. This is when? This was, that morning was December 16th, 2013. Okay. Eight years ago. Mm -hmm. And um, seven and seven years ago. Seven years ago. But I can remember, it, it would be like I'd run over there and I'd get in the Bible and I can remember just, just getting down on my face and thanking God and praising God. And this was not a comfortable place. A lot of the guys that were there who had been in 
jail. They were like, this is a lot like jail. This is a lot like prison. Mm-hmm. And they would ask me why I'm happy. They were like, you, you seem happy. Why do you look happy? So I was like, come over here and let me show you. So right then, God started already showing me how to disciple men in that place. He was discipling me while I was discipling them. It was really cool how that happened. But um, it was like I'd go over there and I'd ask him to show me and he'd give me wisdom. And it was like a light bulb that had been just dim my whole life would, would get a little brighter. And then he'd show me more truth and it'd get a little brighter. And then all of a sudden that bulb would just bust and I'm like, God, you're so good. And I just couldn't wrap my mind around it. Um, but anyway, I left and, and I got back and it was funny because people couldn't recognize me. They, they didn't know me and it was my countenance. Megan, she was like, who are you? You know? And what was really cool is I was able to genuinely ask her to forgive me. And we have had the opportunity for me to um, become her spiritual leader. And that has been something that she's just wanted. And our relationship has never been better because it's built on the foundation of Jesus and biblical truth. So, I mean, obviously, you know that life isn't perfect. Sure. So we still have our issues. Sure. But so like before when we would just run to alcohol to deal with stuff. Now we have biblical truth. We have God's word. We have Jesus to go to. I mean, you think about when Satan tempted Jesus. What did Jesus do? He quoted scripture. Mm-hmm. So before, I didn't even know I had an enemy. Now, I not only know I have an enemy, I know how to battle him. Mm-hmm. And it's with God's word. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's so important for me, for all of us, to not only have the scripture up here, but to have it here so we can use it. You know, because um, just because I became a Christian doesn't mean that all my problems went away. Right. You know. But I got to tell you, man, I haven't been locked up since. <laughs> <laughs> And it's funny because I tell a joke when uh, when people ask me about alcohol. I'm like, you know what? It won't send you to hell, but it'll just make you feel that it feel like you've been there the next morning when you wake up. And then uh, I just feel like something that's that destructive, you know, why even mess with it? It's like owning a pet rattlesnake. You may think it's cool, but it's eventually going to bite you. So why even mess with something like that? Mm-hmm. You know, but I got to say that God has completely removed the desire to drink, to do pills, to gamble. And it's just amazing how he's taken it away. You know, it's like when Jesus moved in, there wasn't room for any of that other junk. It was pushed out, if that makes sense. Oh, that's good. Um, and, you know, I know the 12-step stuff and the meetings, the AA stuff, that, that, that works for people, but... There's a verse that says, when the sun sets you free, you will be free, free indeed. indeed. I didn't get sober and then ask Jesus to free me. When Jesus freed me, the sobriety came. So I'm not a slave to that anymore. Jesus, got he's freed me from that. And, you know, it's important to spend time in God's word daily. Luke 9.23 says, daily. If you want to follow me, you commit to me daily. Deny yourself daily. 
So that's big for me. That's why I have a personal relationship with the Lord, with Jesus, and it's every morning for me because if you don't, if I don't, can that other stuff creep back in, you know? Sure. Yeah. Sure. So I want to make sure that I'm filled with Jesus so I'm not giving that other stuff a place in my life because what am I serving now? I'm serving Jesus now, and that's who controls me. I mean, that would be a good message to a young person. Whatever you choose to serve is going to control you. Because what was I serving back in those days? I was serving that party identity, and that's what controlled me. Mm -hmm. And man, what I'm serving now and what I am all in and on fire for and will be until the Lord comes and takes me home is my relationship with Jesus. And yeah, it's controlling me. And it is the best thing that's ever happened to me. I go back to your night in the hotel when you're just sitting there. You don't have the television on, nothing. And then you just cry out to God and say, God, help me. With no frame of reference, with where you were, with all those other things controlling you, I wonder why you thought God would listen. I know. I know. I mean, we can that. sit here today and say, well, of course, you know, that's what he was waiting on and we know right. all the answers. <laughs> but at that point in time, that's, right. that's really a step of, it, I know. it's faith when you're wondering where it came from. Right. You know, it could have had something to do with just maybe something I heard up until I was 11 years old, you know, going mm -hmm. to first assembly. It could have been. It could have been. Uh, but I know that God, that was his plan for my life, for me to go through all that. Because my purpose now is to help other men. And I've had so many opportunities. Um, a lot of my, a lot of people that I've talked to have gone to the Anchorage and gotten help. Um, but I've just got, God gives me such joy in being able to talk to men who are struggling, who are in addiction, who are in bondage, where I can give them hope. You know, that is just something that I love to do. And God has, I know that that's, that's why I went through that stuff because I've talked to people who said, you're not going to understand. You don't know what I've done. And I'm like, try me, <laughs> try me. And after they tell me, I'm like, that's it? Really? Well, let me tell you what I did. And, um, you know, transparency is big in my, in my ministry. Mm -hmm. But um, it's just been really neat seeing where God's taken me and Megan and Ridgecrest, this church has been awesome to us. I mean, everybody that I've ever had the opportunity to, to tell my story to, nobody's ever, you know, kind of judged me or kind of, everybody's just embraced me with open arms. It's such a loving church, such a healthy church. And it's fun because I have these older men that are mentors to me in the church. And then it's kind of funny because Ridgecrest College. I'm teaching down there now. So I was going to bring that up, yeah. I've got, um, you know, when I was throwing those parties back in the day, I was leading younger men. When I was a senior, these, these underclassmen, they were, I was leading them in the wrong direction. You know, I was, y'all come out here and do this. Y'all take this. And God has restored my youth. He has redeemed that by allowing me to... Um, to teach down at Ridgecrest College. And it has been awesome with those guys. I mean, I know that's exactly where God's got me. And uh, it's, it's, it's been really neat. So if somebody had told 
18-year-old wild man Watson, <laughs> you're going you're gonna to be uh, a deacon at a Baptist church. You're going to chair the deacons. <laughs> you're going to be pouring into the lives of college kids for all the right reasons, and you're going to have a, a great mm. marriage that's centered around biblical truth. What if someone had told you that at 18 years old? Me at 18 years old? I would have done one of two things, probably. I would have probably punched him in the face, yeah, or tried to get him drunk, yeah. But uh, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I'm just thinking about uh, those days. I wouldn't have been able to imagine it. I promise you that. I mean, it would have looked like a uh, different person, you know. So just to wrap up and, and people are watching this and now they're, they're familiar with your story. What's your advice to someone either who's going through right now, what you went through or has a loved one that is going through what you went through? You know, they can't be too proud to ask for help. So I just remember in my life, I had multiple people that were in my life telling me I needed help and I wasn't willing to listen. So um, tell them not to be too proud that if they'll ask for help and accept that help, that help is there. But more importantly, what are you going to do with Jesus? You know, if I could ask my 18, if I could talk to my 18 year old self, I would tell him how important a relationship with Jesus Christ is. What are you going to do with Jesus? That's the most important question that anybody can ask themselves because you're either going to reject him or you're going to accept him and turn your life towards him. So a relationship with Jesus Christ is where you're going to find freedom from any addiction. I don't care what you're addicted to. The only way to get free from it, I mean, you can go and you can white knuckle it. You can willpower it. You can positive thought yourself as far as you want to get until the road ends and you hit a brick wall. You're going to be back right where you started. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's your relationship with Jesus who sets you free. I'm telling y'all, when the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. So just tell them. If somebody's struggling, give them my number. I'll talk to them. But point them to Jesus because if you point them somewhere else, ultimately it's just going to fail. It doesn't have to be alcohol or uh, pills or gambling. It's anything that falsely fills or, or what you think is filling your life that Jesus is supposed to be filling. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you're watching Ryan's story and you're going, well, I, I don't struggle with those things. If there is something that you are filling your life with other than Jesus, that's something that is the most important thing that you'll ever deal with. And mm-hmm. Ryan, I appreciate you being willing to share your story. And oh, yeah. uh, this is the heartbeat of, of our church. So thank you for being willing. Yeah. Love you, Rich Crest.